All right. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Hey, man, welcome to Faith Church. It's good to have all of you here at our Florence location. Can we show some love for everybody up at our Lawrenceburg campus? Good to have you guys. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and we say it every week that, come on, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. So wherever you're at, if you are Faith Church family, you're hanging out, man, we're glad you're here. If you're a VIP or you're watching online for the first time, man, we say the same thing. Just whatever you're going through, whatever your issue, your habit, your hang up, if you'll allow Jesus into your life, it'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Come on, how many people know that's true? Come on, let's make some noise. What's going on, everybody? How many people had an amazing Thanksgiving and gained some weight? Woo! All right. Listen, man, it's good to have you guys here this weekend. We are concluding a series that we started in the month of November, highlighting the first two letters in that word November by saying no November. What we've been doing is we've been talking about some things that ultimately I think we need to say no to in our spiritual journey and in our life because all of us know this maybe subconsciously is true that throughout life we say yes and we say no, sometimes verbally, but more times than not just subconsciously to decisions we're making. Sometimes things we say yes to that we shouldn't say yes to. Sometimes things we say yes to that we need to say yes to. And same thing's true with no. And so ultimately, the challenge of this series is if we'll say no to the things that are maybe holding us back, say no to some things that maybe need to not be a part of our life, ultimately, we'll get to the place that God has for us a little quicker. We've been saying it through this series that ultimately that our decisions determine the direction and the momentum of our life, that if we'll say yes and no to the right things or to the wrong things, ultimately we'll become and grow into the people that God has for us. So throughout this series, we've been saying no to some certain, certain things. And here in week five, as we close out the series, we're saying this, that we ultimately we need to say no to prayerlessness. Everybody shout no. No. Now, prayerlessness obviously is kind of a, a big word, not used a lot, but ultimately the challenge is that saying no to prayerlessness is us saying yes to being people of prayer. I mean, there's a radical idea, right? Christians who pray, oh no, right? Ultimately, this idea of prayer, I think a lot of us, we talk about it. We kind of have an idea what it means. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big fan of Family Feud. We got any Family Feud people. I actually don't really watch the show as much as I just like to watch the clips with Steve Harvey <laughs> as it scrolls, because that dude is money. That dude is all time. Steve Harvey, I love it. Family Feud is a game show been around since 1978. Old game show, still live, still making it happen. Obviously, probably many of you have watched it before. If not, kind of the premise of the show is they will throw out a question that supposedly they had asked 100 people, and they ask you to decide what you think one of the answers is. And if you rank higher than your opponent, then your family gets to entertain the question and take home the money. And so think about the idea of Family Feud for a minute. If you were on the show, you know how when you think about if I was on that show, I would win the big money? Anybody here get like this stellar confidence, like if I was on that show, I'd win? That's because you're not on national TV with a microphone in your face, right? All of us do well at home. But imagine if you were on the show or even just watching it from home and this question was asked, right? Imagine Steve Harvey asking the question, 100 people interviewed, top six answers on the board. Name something that Christians are known for. Bang! Reading your Bible. 100 people interviewed top six questions on the board. What is something a Christian is known for? Bang! Good deeds. Right? I mean, I think all of us would quickly chime in, you know, reading our Bible, going to church. 
But I think all of us probably, if we were in that spot, at least one of the answers that would come to mind or if someone else said it, we would say, yeah, would be prayer. What is something that Christians are known for? And it's prayer. Like it's this automatic, it's this quick association. When you talk about Christians and prayer, you talk about prayer and Christians. The challenge is I think way too many of us talk about it and not enough of us do it. It's in our talk, but it's not in our walk. There's a disconnect between what we say and what we really live. And I think ultimately it's holding us back. And not to say none of us pray, because let's be honest, probably a lot of us, when we talk about prayer, we have the meal prayers, right? Father, thank you for this food we're about to eat, Lord. May you bless it to the nourishment of our bodies and the benefit of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And isn't it crazy, like, the bigger the meal, the bigger the prayer? I mean, if it's like Thanksgiving, it's like, oh, Heavenly Father above. But like, if you're just like doing like a replacement shake, Jesus gets nothing, right? At some point, like the meal, like you pray, if it's just two course, does Jesus get a prayer? At some point, it's like we don't become thankful, right? Same thing with traveling mercy prayers. Like all of us have prayed for traveling mercies, right? You're going on a long trip. We've got people who pray for traveling mercies. Like you're, you're going on a long trip, and so you invite God into the car, and you ask him to put his angels on the fenders of the car and move the police officers out of your way so you can get to your destination quickly. We want to get there quick but safe. But isn't it crazy, again, how if we're just making a quick stop to Dollar General, Jesus don't get a prayer. At some point, the destination has to be long enough away we pray. If it's too close, we don't even pray. So it's, I'm just saying some of us pray. But a lot of our prayers are these kind of traditional religious things that we learned along the way. We pray again. We pray if we're going to sleep, that if we die, we go to heaven. But we don't pray that if we're taking just like a Sunday two-hour nap. Come on, nobody's like, now I lay me down to sleep. At some point, we stop praying those things. And again, it's, it's because I think there's this thing inside of all of us that we learn maybe from our parents or from church, maybe what we thought prayer was, that if it's before a meal, before a nap, or before a trip. But prayer is bigger than that. It's more important than that. It should play a greater role in our lives than that. I think a lot of us talk about it, but we don't do it. You didn't hear anything today. I want you to hear this. That the idea of prayer is impotent, but the practice of prayer is powerful. I say the idea, I mean, you can talk about prayer. If you talk about it, if you tell people you're going to do it, if you see somebody post a challenge that they're going through on Facebook and you say prayers, but you don't actually pray, the idea of prayer doesn't change anything, but the practice of prayer can change anything. Let's go, everybody. So the challenge again is we say no to prayerlessness. My goal today is to get all of us in this room, including me, in a more regular practice of prayer, maybe get us past the obstacles and the things that are holding us back. And so what are some of those things? What are the things we say we believe in prayer, we naturally associate ourselves as people of faith with prayer? What are the things, come on, Lawrenceburg, Florence, what are the things that hold us back from prayer? I think one of them people naturally would say is, you know, ultimately I feel like, you know, we don't have enough time, we're too busy and I think that comes from the mindset that if you don't pray for an hour, it don't count. And I just want you to know this, that it's not about how long you pray. It's more about how often you pray. And so, but sometimes, again, I think we feel like we're too busy. I think sometimes it's not just that we're too busy. I think some of us in this room, we, we've not really experienced the benefits of prayer. Like, we're not sure prayer really changes anything. 
So because we've never experienced the benefits of prayer, we're not motivated to pray. I just want to tell you, listen, I can't, I can talk about personal testimony. I can give you biblical testimony, but until you really experience the power of prayer for yourself, you just need to take God at his word that he answers prayer, benefits of prayer. I think some of us in this room, it's not just that we're maybe too busy or we don't really understand the benefits of prayer. I think probably some of us, we don't have enough background in prayer. Like we don't really know enough. Right? All of us have been in the... Let me just say, like, I'm the professional Christian. I get paid to do this. So I'm the go-to guy at every event. Whatever's happening, pastor, will you pray? I'm like, am I the only one that knows how to pray? Like, I don't mind praying, but, like, I'm the only guy. Because let's be honest, sometimes we're not sure how to say it. Did I say it right? Has anybody been praying out loud to God at the same time you have a conversation in the back of your mind like, oh, my God, I sound like an idiot. (laughs) Did I just say that? Lord, helpest thou me? Did I just say those words? Oh, my gosh. It's like we're not really sure what to do, how to do it, how long to do it, enough time to do it. And I just want you to know that we have really overcomplicated this thing that God calls us to, invites us to be a part of. And so my challenge today is for us to verbally say no to prayerlessness. We walk out of this place today and we start to engage a little more consistently and constantly in the act of prayer and see what God does through it. So Jesus, I think at the end of the day, as people of faith, that we follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, Jesus made prayer a regular topic of conversation. Now, again, you have to remember Jesus, right? He didn't just come as God's son to be the savior of the world, but one of the reasons he came as well, that was his ultimate goal, was to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus came to be the savior of people who can't save themselves. But Jesus was also a teacher. He came to teach who God was, what God was like, what this spiritual journey looked like. And so in his journey, he had 12 men that he took with him that he passed on, that he taught about the kingdom. And so you can't mistake how consistently Jesus taught about prayer. First of all, he gave an example of prayer. Jesus himself prayed. We find over and over and over again in the gospels, Jesus would take time out of his busy day and he would make sure that he would get alone with the father and he would pray an example of prayer. He not only gave an example of prayer, but he literally prayed in John chapter 17. We have one of the prayers that Jesus prayed, actually recorded. Jesus didn't just give us the example of prayer. He gave us, right, the call to pray. Did you know as disciples, how many people here are followers of Jesus? Come on, wave at me if you're a follower. Jesus called us as his disciples to pray. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus called his disciples to pray. So he gave us an example. He called us to pray. He gave us the principles of prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, he said, this is what prayer should look like. These are kind of some of the components that should be included. And he taught parables. Parables, again, are these these stories, these common cultural stories that taught us what heaven was like, what God was like. And today, for a few minutes, I want to lean into one of the parables that Jesus taught us about prayer. My goal specifically is to help us to maybe overcome some of the obstacles that are keeping you from being more active in prayer. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn real quick to, uh, oh, let me give this. This is the most important one. Uh, One of the reasons we don't pray, I I miss this, and I probably missed it because it's going to be offensive. (laughs) So get ready. (laughs) 
I think if we're honest, right, at the end of the day, and you may not even recognize it, and you're probably going to push back when I say it, but I want it just to sink in. I think probably the number one reason that more of us don't pray more often is pride. Is pride. Now, here's what God's Word says, so if you have an issue, don't really get offended at me. Get offended at God. Solomon, he wrote this in the book of Proverbs, that the wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. You know what pride is, right? Pride is that attitude like, I got it. God, I don't need you. I got this. I can handle this. I'm good. I don't need you. That's what pride is. Pride is stiff-arming God. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of us feel like it's just our responsibility to make life happen, and it is. And thankfully, so many of us in this room or in Lawrenceburg, we're surrounded by great people. We have friends. We have family. We have a lot of other support in our life, but I want you to know something. At the end of the day, when everybody else has run out, God will run in. He is the one we need to consistently count on and call on. It's Jesus. And so we need to stop allowing pride to get in our way and be people who actively call on the name of Jesus, prayer. So let's lean into this story. It's found in Luke chapter 18. And here's the parable that Jesus tells. Check this out. Verse 1, he says, One day, Jesus told his disciples a story. Now, let me ask you again, Lawrenceburg, Florence, how many of you would say you're a disciple? Come on, you're a follower of Jesus. Come on, you got to, come on, this this is participatory. I'm not not doing all the work up here. How many people are disciples? Wave at me. All right. So he's talking to not just them 2,000 years ago. He's talking to you today. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me bananas. Crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with their constant requests. Isn't that crazy? So you read this again. Anytime you read a parable, I've talked a lot about this in different parables we've talked about here on Sunday mornings at Faith Church. And that anytime you read a parable, anytime you lean into a story that Jesus told, part of our job is to figure out in the parable who you are in the parable and who God is in the parable. Because when Jesus taught a parable, that's what he would want us to know is have more insight on who we are, more insight and who God is. And so he tells a story. I don't know if you caught this, but the story is there is a widow woman that needs justice. So she goes to this judge to get this judge to issue an executive order on her behalf. And this judge won't budge. That rhymed. Not on purpose. I'm so good at it. It happens accidentally. <laughs> the judge won't budge. And so she keeps at him. In fact, she keeps at him until finally he doesn't, he doesn't issue a degree on her behalf because she loves this woman or care. She just wants this woman to shut up. And we're supposed to believe that this is a picture of God, that prayer is basically just harassing God until God, he doesn't move because he loves us. He doesn't move because he's like, finally, God will answer your prayer because he just wants you to shut up and go away. Absolutely not. See, Jesus most often taught parables by comparison 
But this very specific parable, Jesus is not just teaching by comparison that we'll look at in a minute, but Jesus is teaching by contrast. See, the understanding of Jews in the first century is they started to get this warped mentality of who God was. That's one of the reasons Jesus taught was to straighten out our warped theology and doctrine, the way we understood God, understood spiritual things. And so they had kind of got this thing like God is so transcendent and he's so far up there that he can't be bothered by us menial humans. And please, God, if you could just somehow, oh, see it within yourself to help me. And God's like, would you just leave me alone? And finally, he answers just to shut us up. What I want you to see is that ultimately this whole parable that Jesus, and this is what we're going to talk about, is Jesus is addressing our perception of connection. How do you perceive your connection with God? Because if your perception of connection is off, you are far less likely to pray. And so I want to talk about three things real quick if you're taking notes. Three things. And he says this right here. He says, listen again, verse verse. Uh, Verse, it's actually verse 7, Luke 18, I wrote it. It says, then the Lord said, listen, this is, the whole, this is the answer to the parable. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. This is what he wants us to learn. He says, even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, come on, everyone read this. He will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? And so here's the three perceptions of connection I want to address. Number one is your perception of God. How do you see God? I think a lot of us, the way that maybe we have been raised or our own mentality is that like God, again, is just, he's so transcendent. He's so far up there and like we're bothering him. He doesn't really care about us anyways. And if you view God as like the same way that Jesus paints the picture of this judge who said, I don't care about people. If that's how you see God is God is so transcendent and so far away from you that he doesn't care about you. You are far less likely to ever call out to him because you don't think he cares about you. But when you get the correct picture that is found through contrast, that God is not just an impassioned judge, but he is a passionate father. Do you see God as far out there, or do you see him as imminent here? Do you see him as big and out and away from you, or do you see him as big but close to you? I want you to know something, that when Jesus came, he wanted us to know that when God, if we will pray, if, a, if an impassioned judge will give justice, you had better believe your heavenly Father, God will surely give justice. Surely. Because that's what a father does. Again, it's this contrast between the two. Remember Jesus, how he taught us to pray earlier? Again, Jesus taught about prayer all the time. One of the things he said about prayer was this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, but when you pray, he says, go away by yourself, shut the doors behind you, and do, the, do what? Come on, everybody here, read this. Do what? Pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. So again, Jesus, he's, he's telling people that were used to thinking that God was just this disconnected judge, that you have to beg him and you got to harass him just to do something for you. And finally, if he does it, it's just to shut you up. 
And by contrast, he's not saying he's a God who, he's not a judge who moves to shut you up, but he's a father who's compassionate and cares for you. And he's comparing and contrasting these two ideas and ultimately who God is and what God is like. Who God is, you had better believe that God is the judge of the universe. The same way when a judge executes an order from behind a bench, he has the governing authority behind him. When the God of heaven ex- executes an order on your behalf, all of heaven is standing behind that on your behalf. Let's go, son. Somebody, but it's not just a judge. Again, he is a heavenly father. So that's who you go to when you pray. I know for myself, sometimes I'll get stuck doing something, something I don't know how to figure out, especially when it comes to maybe fixing something. I've got a great dad I can call. Anybody here got a great dad or you had a great dad? So if I get stuck, I can call my dad. My dad knows how to fix a lot of stuff. And so this is important. When I call my dad, I call him, number one, because he's got ability. He can fix what's broken. But there's a lot of people that can fix the stuff that's broken. If I need to work on a car, I call my dad. I don't call AutoZone and ask the guy that I don't know and doesn't know me to help me out because he's probably not going to help me. I just don't call somebody who's able. I call somebody who's available. I call my dad not only because I know he'll know the answer, but because I know he'll talk to me and give me the answer. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? What what Jesus is teaching in this is you have a God who's able as a judge and available as a father. Come on, God is able and he is available. So if you're thinking God doesn't care about you and he's too far from you, and you're like, listen to me, we need to pull it back. Our perception of connection needs to be that God, come on, say it, he is able and he is available. God's available to you. The second thing I want us to talk about, because Jesus, I think, addresses in this parable is not just your perception of God, but your perception of yourself. How do you view yourself, especially when it comes to a conversation with God? I'm not sure maybe where it originated from, but I know I've had people say things like this that we just feel like we're so insignificant, we're so small, we're meaningless. So we either see God as too big to talk to or we see ourselves as too small and too insignificant. Like, how could God ever care about me? And it's crazy because I think that our mindset is that God is so busy running the universe. Why should he care about my Why should he care about my test at school? Why should he care about my medical test? Why should he care about my business? I want you to know that God is not limited in any way, shape, or form. God can do anything, anywhere, at any time for any person, and he can't just do that. God can do everything at all all times, all places, for all people. God is not overwhelmed by what you have going on. If we all at one time prayed for all of our needs here in America, here in Canada, in Mexico, on the continent of Africa, listen, if everybody said, God, help me once, God God can do all of it because God is able. God is big. And you're not insignificant. I want you to notice again what Jesus says. The point of the parable, he says this, God will surely give justice. I hope you walk out with that kind of confidence that if I'll pray, God will surely, God will surely give justice. Anybody here ever Google something when you're stuck? Isn't it crazy how quick we will, we will ask Google? And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Google, by the way. <laughs> how slow we are, how quick we are to Google, how slow we are to ask God. What if you had that same kind of confidence that God will show up if I ask him? 
But he goes on and says, God will surely give justice to who? To his chosen people. So you got to see yourself. Listen to me. You have to understand that the way Jesus sees you, I know sometimes we don't feel chosen because, like, we didn't make the team. We didn't make the cut. Like, we didn't get into the club. We didn't get invited into the clique. We didn't get invited into the circle. Some of us have the story where we got stuck on the sideline. We didn't get invited onto the dodgeball court. Come on. All of us in this room have sometimes felt insignificant. And while you might be insignificant to some groups, some cliques, and some people groups, you are not insignificant to God. You are somebody. You are chosen by Jesus. So like when you pray, God's like, oh, here she goes again. She is wearing me out. God is excited when you call his name. God will surely give justice to his chosen people. Now, maybe you never heard that before, that you're chosen. But that is an idea that runs explicit throughout God's word. In the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. In the New Testament, it's everybody who's a Christ follower. So here's good news. You may say, am I chosen? (laughs) Everybody who chooses Jesus is chosen by Christ. Here's what the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us, and he did what? He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I don't know if you picked that up, but it said, even before, come on, watch this, even before he made the world, he chose you. Did you know that God knows everything? He knows every decision you would ever make before you were born, and he chose you anyways. Because God didn't choose any of us based on how good we are. He chose us based on how good he is. Because I got news for you. You're still going to make mistakes. In fact, I hate to say this, but for some of us it's true. Your biggest failure is still in front of you. And God chose you anyways. In spite of our mistakes, in spite of our mishaps, in in spite of our failures, anybody here still fall short, still miss the mark, still mess up, still sin, still struggle, still have habits, still, come on, wait until somebody raises up. Anybody here still makes some big mistakes in life? Listen to me. Your mishaps do not change the fact that you and I are chosen by Christ. We are his chosen, and God surely does justice for his chosen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, says that we are a chosen generation, a holy people. Revelations tells us that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back with his chosen, the faithful, that's us. Jesus said this, in case you ever have a misconstrued idea, who started this whole idea of a relationship? Jesus said in John chapter 15, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I ordained you. So you're like, I picked God. No, no, God says, no, I picked you. I picked you so you could pick me. You're chosen. And that idea that God doesn't care about you, God doesn't want to hear from you, that you're too small, too insignificant, too inconsequential is a lie from the enemy. You are valuable and you are important. You are chosen and you are valuable. The same way, listen to me, God is able and available. You are chosen and valuable. God is, come on, God, he's there for you. You are there, able to connect with God. Jesus is changing the perception of our connection if you'll open up your heart and listen. Last thing real quick is our perception of prayer. Again, what is, what is ultimately prayer? How do we see prayer? I think a lot of us, we feel that prayer has to be long to count. How short can a prayer be and still count? And somehow, like, I think we run, and there are some really people who are called to prayer, and there's people like, you hear about people praying an hour and two hours and three, three hours, and some of us are like, 
Sometimes you feel like you pray an hour and you look at your watch and it's been like 38 seconds and you've prayed for every missionary, like every, you've prayed for your dog's bum leg and like it's been 38 seconds. You feel like that doesn't count. You don't have to, you don't have to pray long. Just don't go long without prayer. Prayer is not about the quality of your words. It's about the quality of your heart. Did I say it right? God doesn't care. Did I use the right words? God doesn't care. It's about the quality of your heart. So how do you perceive prayer? Again, I want you to notice the main point that Jesus says. He addresses your perception, our perception of him, our perception of ourselves, and our perception of prayer. He says this again. God will surely give justice. Everybody say surely. God will surely give justice to his chosen people who do what? Who cry out to him day and night. See, God is, is far less interested in you checking the box, did you pray today? And he's far more interested, did you check the box by staying dependent on him? Because that's really what prayer is. Prayer is making sure that just as you're going through life, day and night, highs and lows, in school, in the career, as a mother, as a father, as a person who can't have a child, in success, in struggles, in highs and lows, in mountaintops and valleys, in the best and in the worst, day and night, we're calling out. That's what God wants you to know. He's there for it. He's available for it. He wants you to stay connected to him through this idea of prayer. Persistence is another thing that's listed throughout scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. How do you never stop praying? Because it's an attitude. It's this idea you're just constantly engaged. I t- was joking with, uh, with, my, with my staff, just telling them some stories. Pastor Mitch, who is our campus pastor in Lawrenceburg, we have been friends for years and years, been friends since I was in fifth grade. He's in sixth, he was in sixth grade. And the difference between Pastor Mitch and myself, the biggest difference among some is <clears throat> that he's a morning person and I'm not. How many morning people we have? Like, you're the people like five o'clock, you don't need an alarm, you're already up, you're the, you're the person waking everybody else up. We hate you. I don't know if you caught this, but we go to bed quiet and don't wake you up. Why do you got to wake us up when you get up? Where's all my people that get up, like crack of noon, you're getting up? Are you asleep as late as you wanted, like, let's go, my people right there. So Pastor Mitch is a morning person, he's always been a morning person. I've never really been a morning person, like, I got to set an alarm or I'm not getting up. And so in the summer times when we want to hang out, right, in the morning, he would have to try to get me up, and so here's what he would do is he would pick up the phone in his house and he would dial my, my number. We live one street apart. And he would set the phone down in his house. This was before cell phones, by the way. Remember they used to have these things in homes as a box on the wall? And... <laughs> and so he would call me, let the phone ring in my house, set it down, and then walk up to my house and beat on the door. So I would have a phone ringing and someone beating at my door. This is the picture, though. He's saying, listen, you need to stay persistent. Mitch knew I was in the house. He knew I wanted to hang out. All he had to do was get me out of bed. This is kind of the picture that Jesus is painting. He tells another parable of a friend who goes, on to, a friend who goes to this guy's house who's in need, and he knocks on his neighbor's door, and he knows if he'll knock long enough, the neighbor will come and answer the door and give him what he needs. What God is saying is not that you got to wake him up, but are you really interested in and persuaded enough that he is there, that he will answer, and he will help you? Because if you are, you won't stop knocking. We'll be persistent in prayer. How do you perceive prayer? See, it's not this one and done. It's not quick and it's over. 
It's this thing that carries without you throughout the day. God would far rather us, based on what Scripture teaches, rather than us pray for everything in an hour at the start of our day and never talk to Him again, God would rather our day be peppered with prayers of where God needs to show up or where we're dependent on Him. God, will you help me close the deal? God, will you give me wisdom with my son? Will you help me not to kill my daughter? God, will you give me grace? God, will you forgive my sin? God, will you help show up in this test? God, will you open the door in front of me? Will you give me favor in this interview? God, will you help change my heart? God, will you show up and just renew my mind? Come on, it's just peppering our day with prayer because we know he is there. He is able. Come on, God is right there with us. We are somebody. We are chosen in his eyes. And if we have the right perception of prayer, It'll change our connection forever. It'll change our perception of prayer forever. And so I want you to notice one thing in this story. So the point of the story, again, Jesus is contrasting the judge, but he's still comparing us to a widow. Now, we don't know a lot about this, but a widow in the first century in that part of the world had no value. They had no authority. They didn't count as a person in the Roman Empire. They had no say. They had no income because they couldn't have a job. And so you have this woman, a widow woman. Jesus makes sure we understand the point. She's a widow who goes to this judge, begging this judge, please will you act on my behalf. The point that Jesus is making is that all of us in this room, we are the widow woman. At the end of the day, there are things in our lives that are way beyond our ability, way beyond our capacity, and we're like a desperate widow woman. We don't have what it takes, and so we have to go to a judge. And if you see yourself as a person that doesn't need help, you'll never be a person of prayer. But if you'll recognize that in the eyes of God, some of us, man, we're the desperate widow woman. There's nothing I can do unless God, you do it for me. And if you'll have a need mentality that God is the answer to every struggle in your life, you'll be a person more committed to prayer because you recognize that's the only way you're going to get to the other side of what your struggle is. Jesus, he ultimately, taking notes right here, prayer isn't done that ultimately out of duty. It's not something that you check the box, but it's out of dependence and desperation. Are you dependent on God? Are you desperate for him to show up and move in your life? Then Jesus, he closes the parable with this. It feels like it doesn't fit, but it's part of the same parable. He ends the story this way. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Jesus is saying, here I am the first time and I'm coming back. And when I come back, what am I going to find? Am I going to find people of faith? And you're like, well, what's he talking about? Jesus is clearly connecting prayer and faith. That if you're a person of faith, you will be a person of prayer. And if you're not a person of prayer, you're probably not really as much a person of faith as you think. Because faith is expressed through prayer. If I pray, it's because I believe I have a heavenly father. It's because I believe I'm in desperate need. It's because I believe he'll move on my behalf. It's because I believe what verse 7 says, that God will surely, God will surely execute justice on the behalf of his chosen ones who cry out day and night. So remember, I started, I said, probably our biggest obstacle, if we're truly honest and can see inside our own hearts, the biggest obstacle to prayer is pride. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. He's saying, am I going to find a bunch of people who are too proud to call on me? 
or am I going to find faith? Am I going to find people who really believed that I would answer, that really believed I was there, that really believed I would execute justice on their behalf? Will I find people who pray? How many of you in this room would be honest enough like me to say, I need to up my prayer game? This coming Saturday, we do it the first Saturday of every month. We call, it's called First Saturday Prayer. We get together as Faith Church family for one hour. We do a short devotion, do a little bit of worship, and then we pray. We pray for our church. We pray for our community. We pray for our culture. I would invite you beyond the context of your own life of maybe engaging just more consistently as people of prayer, I would invite you to participate. Nobody's ever come and said, that was a waste. People always come and say, man, I wish I'd have started coming sooner. We're just one month away from 2021. Thank you, Jesus. 2020 is almost an afterthought. Um, we always start the new year, prayer and fasting. So part of this message is to help get you acclimated to be people of prayer. But part of it is, as Faith Church family, let's step into being people of prayer. So I want to invite you this Saturday, first Saturday prayer, one hour, 9 a.m. Get ready as we start the new year. We're going to be people. We're going to lock in. And we're going to knock. And we're going to seek God. And we're going to believe his favor and his grace to show up. Because I believe he will surely execute justice on our behalf. He will surely answer if we'll ask. And so, Father, I love you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name for every one of us in this room. Listen, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's ultimately how you become chosen. Is by recognizing your need for a Savior that we're lost without him. Our sin separates us from a holy God, but God loved you enough that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin. And when you put all of your hope and faith in Jesus to save you and to forgive you, in that moment, you become his son or daughter. In that second, you become chosen. So if you've never done that right where you are, you can just say, Jesus, will you save me? Will you forgive me? And you can have confidence that that'll be the first and the greatest prayer he'll ever answer for you. And for all of us in this room who have already taken that step and already committed our lives to Christ, I pray the Spirit of God would just bring a fresh, a fresh revelation, a fresh call and a conviction to prayer. And for whatever reason you've ducked it and for whatever reason you've lived a life this far of prayerlessness, that you would say no. And moving forward, just on a consistent, regular basis, you'd call out to a Father who's able and available recognizing that you're chosen and valuable. And the only thing that God requires is your dependence on him. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen.